Hey, Anthony, it's that time again. To finally go back to a movie theater? Yeah, yeah, wait, no. No, not at all. Then what? It's time to make the podcast. Oh, oh, oh yeah, that thing. Once again, we have reached that time of the week. Time to dive into the movies we love and the movies we wish we could forget. Pitting them against each other to receive praise uh, or hatred. Based on a scale of our choosing. So let's jump into it. This is the Double Feature Podcast. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to a new episode of Double Feature Versus. I'm Anthony. I'm Brad. And today we're going to have, um, we got an interesting one, man. I guess we could call this the A24 Double Feature, but we would call this, I would call this a wild road trip double feature. I, I, I Dude, I almost hope, I wish, uh, the Spring Breakers take, Spring Breakers took place in Florida, right? It takes place in Florida, but I don't know where in Florida. Okay. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Because if Zola... Oh, shoot. This is the Florida Man Podcast. No, the Florida Woman Podcast. The Florida Woman Podcast? This is the Florida Woman episode, dude. <laughs> See, I didn't even know that, man. I just know these are two films that are just bound to be linked together. But um, before we jump into it, we wanted to give a quick... Um, way overdue dedication to a guy that's uh inspired our podcast game um one half of it and a d and one half of podcast detroit uh david phillips wanted to give a dedicate this episode to him and give a rest in peace um i know you um you probably knew david longer than i did because you kind of joined up with podcast detroit before i did right yeah i uh, i knew him for probably about five years or so so mm. yeah, that that one hit hard for sure. But yeah, if it wasn't for him with IT and the D podcast Detroit and everything, uh, we definitely wouldn't be here talking about movies every week. That's for sure. Yeah, he introduced us to podcast Detroit. Very helpful guy, funny, fun, um, inspirational. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he 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 will sorely be missed. Yeah, it, it his missing is already felt, you know, even though it's just recent still. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, so this is dedicated to you, Dave. If you're looking down at us from heaven doing the Humpty Dance, I think I think he was a pro at that, right? Everyone says he was great at the Humpty Dance. The oh, song that was his song for karaoke was the Humpty Dance. Every karaoke that we would find, that was his song, even multiple times in the same night. <laughs> Uh, I wish somebody had taped that, man. I would love to see a recording of him doing that. Do they have a recording? Oh, there's there's plenty of recordings out there. It's just a matter of finding them. I guarantee it. Uh, considering it was pretty much three times a week that he would be doing it for the past, like, five years that I've known him at least. <laughs> That's dedication. That is dedication. All right, but, you know, I raised my water bottle to Mr. Phillips, um, and IT and the D in general, right, to that whole podcast. Um, but all right, today we are doing Zola versus Spring Breakers. Um, you want to you wanna switch it up and do Zola first since it's new, or you want to do chronological like we've always done? 
Uh, let's try and stick with chronological. Okay. All right. So we're going to start off with uh, Harmony Corinne's uh, Spring Breakers. Now, this film, dude, um, I first saw this back when I was in college. Uh, I went with a group of friends to go see it. We kind of knew. We didn't really know what to expect, but we knew that it was kind of going to be a little different than what was advertised. Um, mm-hmm. I think the, one of the main things I remember from this movie is that uh, past the part where Selena Gomez goes back home, people were walking out of the theater. Like, <laughs> there, there were some folks that were walking out of the theater like, yeah, this is, this is way different from what we thought it was going to be. Yeah, the movie took a weird shift after they got arrested. Because up until then, it's basically about uh, four girls that are trying to be able to go down and celebrate spring break in Florida. They're obsessed with spring break. Uh, They're obsessed with it. They really want to go. They want to have fun. They want to. The main thing is they want to break from reality. Yeah. They want to take a break from all the school and everything that they're doing because they're all in college. They want to take some time away from that and kind of be able to actually have one of those spring break experiences they hear everybody talking about. Let me tell you something, man. I don't care how I don't care how much I want to go somewhere, whether it's Cedar Point or whatever. I'm I'm not going to rob a chicken shack just to get money to get a hotel and go down to spring break and party. Like, nobody wants spring break that bad. Yeah, That's- well, it, I think it was supposed to be, like, showing how desperate they were to do this, that they were like, okay, we'll even rob, like, a local diner kind of establishment uh, to get the money that we need in order to be able to go down there, get a hotel, be able to actually have the party that they want. But, yeah, it completely... I found that scene hilarious when they actually cut back to, like, what they were doing in there. The one girl with, like, the sledgehammer is just, like, just pounding it on everything that she passes by. She's just trying to act like she's about to hit somebody. And I'm like, dude, I I think you and I might have a different take on this movie. But at that point, I kind of knew that this was not a film you take seriously. Yeah, no, not at all. That's that's where um, I was sitting in the theater. I was like, oh, it's one of those movies. I did that robbery scene. I like the way it's shot. I like the way the robbery scene is first shot, like before they showed the flashback of it, like when you're in the moment. Um, oh, with the but, car and it kind of slowly going through, and you can see through the windows what they're kind of doing, and then yeah. it kind of goes back around back, and you see them come back out the uh, back entrance to jump back in the car, and then they drive off. Yeah, it's shot. It's shot in an intense way, but at the same time, you're like, yeah, this wouldn't happen in real life. Um, to give a background, though, the, the writer-director, Harmony Korine, he's known for making offbeat, kind of surreal films, surreal, controversial films. You know, he, um, at 19 years old, like, wrote the script for kids in 1995. You see that movie? I have not. Yeah, it's a really controversial movie, uh, controversial for its time. It's pretty much, it's pretty much like Euphoria, but way more raw. Sets place in 90s New York. Um, from there, he wrote and directed Gummo, which was another controversial movie. Then Trash Humpers. Don't even ask. Um, <laughs> recently, he's done one with uh, Matthew McConaughey called The Beach Bum, which uh, that's, that one's not as controversial. I heard that one's kind of like a stoner comedy. That but, one um, I actually have on my to-watch list. Uh, 
Because yeah. I remember I actually got passes for a screening of that one. I just wasn't able to make it for that one. So that's a more recent one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's an interesting filmmaker. Um, so I knew what to expect going into this one. But, um, yeah, so the way it starts off, you you just get a lot thrown at you. You get, you get TNA, you get abs, you get liquor, you get butt shaking in slow motion, and you get Skrillex. This this film actually low key got me interested in Skrillex. I didn't know who he was before this. Really? So this is the film that got you into what this is, is it? Film uh, dubstep with you friends. Uh, well, yeah, dubstep and the songs with you friends and scary monsters and nice sprites. But um, I knew who I knew the name. I just didn't know what he did. Like this this film got me interested in dubstep because it was just thrown at me from like the first frame. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, what I want to talk about is like the, I guess the tonal shift this film takes after, uh, would you say is that the part where Selena Gomez leaves? I think it was a little before then, but when they robbed the chicken shack. Um, I, I think well, even when they no, robbed the right. chicken shack, it still kind of had that like crazy spring break kind of vibe to it because then they go right back to partying and stuff like that. Uh, it's basically when James Franco's character comes into play and it turns into this weird kind of crime movie from being go. like right. a spring break movie. Uh, so it yeah. kind of get a little bit of that when they are robbing the diner or when they do the flashback of robbing the diner and we see that. But prior to that, it still kind of goes back to being a spring break movie. And it's like that was just a weird stop and then going again like they hit a red light for a minute and then they started continuing with the movie yeah um speaking of aliens dude dude franco just gives a very just audacious transformative performance in this movie dude like oh, yeah. i i don't see any of franco in alien like he's like he's straight up he you know he's based off riff raff they they initially contacted the rapper riff raff to do the part and he said no I think that was a good decision. I think think Franco was a great decision for that one. Uh, Even though he's a little controversial at the moment and everything, but I still think he's pretty good at jumping into certain roles. Like uh, when he was in, what was it? 127 hours. He was perfect in that. Uh, He did a great job doing comedies with like pineapple express, uh, the end of the world, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And this just shows that he can really jump into a weird character as well. Uh, I think the only other person that I could think of seeing going into this kind of role would be uh, Ninja from uh, Die Antward, uh, the guy that was in the movie Chappie. Never watched Chappie. Oh, okay. We got to add that to the list. Because, yeah, that was definitely... You know, me and my Blomp Camp game, I, I stopped at District 19. Um, people tell me Elysium is just okay. People tell me Chappie is straight. Uh, people tell me I'm not missing on anything. You you disagree? Uh, no, I absolutely agree with that. You are not missing anything by not seeing Chappie, but you still need to watch Chappie. <laughs> it, it's, okay. it's a beautiful disaster of a movie, in a way. Okay, I can understand that. I, okay. 
So, you put it to me that way, I get it. Yeah, you're, you're not missing anything if you skip out on that. But uh, one of the characters in it is uh, Ninja. Well, the Bandai Antword is majorly in that, and one of the people in that is Ninja. And I could see him actually playing this role perfectly as well as James Franco did. So that's like it, the only substitute that I could think of that would be able to play this role just as well. You know, people look back on this movie and... They, they try to find deep meaning into it, which I feel can be brought out of it. Like, I do feel there is a message to this movie as as audacious and over the top as it is. Like, I remember in college, one of my professors says, yeah, you know, um, over the over the uh, weekend, I went to go see Spring Breakers. It was a little horrifying to me. And we were like, why is it horrifying? He says, well, you know, because I have two daughters. They're about to become teenagers. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it was kind of a, it was kind of a, um, what do you call it? It was kind of an unflinching experience for him. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine a film like this being terrifying because I, I don't think all of this would happen, but I do believe there are people out there that, you know, you know, in the age of Instagram and superficiality and um, commercialism, well, not even commercialism, but um, trying to be free, trying to break the law, be outlaws. I could see how a film like this would be terrifying for my professor. Oh, yeah. There's definitely, a, especially in like the current age, where mm-hmm. something like this is a little bit more believable as something that people would be willing to do in order to try and get that big break moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like back then, it kind of looks at like, oh, this is totally insane. Nobody would actually go to these. Now it's like, yeah, somebody would totally do that. I could definitely see this being a news article on, you know, four people caught uh, robbing, you know, a Chick-fil-A in order to get uh, money for going down to spring break kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely, um, it's de- it definitely has social commentary to it as well. Like just basically the whole idea of spring break. The one day where you can let the one week where you can let loose, you know, no consequences. And I love how there's a there's kind of a abrupt shift into hyper reality when they get arrested. And, you know, um, Alien, who as much as the film tries to make tries to sympathize with, I think I think he's low. I think he's a predator. I think oh, 100%. He's a predator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Alien kind of like uh, bails them out of prison and tries to like go them into staying with him and, you know, his posse, his gangster posse or whatever. And then Selena gets scared and wants to go home. You know, I feel like all of that kind of brings the film into hyper reality. Like um, I know the initial thing Harmony Korine wanted to do with this movie was make it a sensory experience. And I think with the cinematography and the music and everything and even, you know, all the smut in and around the film, it really does give you like it feels like a firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does actually have some really good cinematography moments. Uh, like we yeah. mentioned, the one scene like from the car looking into the robbery that's happening is really well done. I love that. Right. Uh, there's a couple other scenes that are done well with them, like driving. Most of them, like in the car, when it comes to like the cinematography. The uh, neon club scene. Yep, that one's a really good one. The shoot, the 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 climactic shootout. Like, yeah, like a lot of this is shot well. Um, but do you think this is, do you, do you think this is low art masquerading as high art or high art masquerading as low art? Um, I, I, I would say it's low art masquerading as high art. 
Okay. Yeah, that's that's more so why where I lean into it. Yeah, there, there are parts of it that I enjoy and stuff, but I, it seems to be trying to be more serious than it is when it comes to its like cinematography and everything like that. And then you get to the story and the characters and everything, and it just kind of all, you know, falls downward from there. I just love how there's just one moment where I think the comedy may be more unintentional than intentional, where you you hear Selena Gomez talking to her grandma like, you should come here, Grandma. This is a wonderful time. And the whole time, we're just looking at this woman's ass in slow motion, oh, yeah. dancing. <laughs> I'm like, you should meet these people. I'm like, this is this is ridiculous. Yeah, there, there's definitely some parts where it's like, oh yeah, this was supposed to like show like how varied this is and how much of a world change this is for these people and everything. And it's just like, this is hilarious. It's so out of touch that it's becoming funny. Right, just out of touch with reality, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, I, you know, this movie, this movie is good for what it is. It's pretty wild. Um, I really think the Oscar campaign that was for James Franco, like, should have been taken seriously. Because this is just, it really was a transformative performance. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, I could see why he wouldn't get an Emmy or anything for it, but it was a really good performance. Yeah. And uh, Gucci man just kind of comes out of nowhere. I feel like they, they could have got someone else to do that role. I mean, I, I don't know. Like the only scene I liked by Gucci that I thought was funny when he's in the car and he's in, he's like, I think he says something like Merry Christmas. He shoots and then the one girl gets shot. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, his scenes really yeah. didn't stand out at all to me. Like even yeah. the scene in the club and everything, it was just kind of dialogue for the sake of dialogue. It, there didn't seem to have any like uh, punch behind it, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, sadly that scene kind of, it was supposed to be like an intimidating scene, but you, you could basically almost see him straining to read the script. You know, there was actual, no like emotion in what he was saying. The words were threatening, but his tone was not. I'll say this. 93 minutes is enough for me uh, hearing James Franco say spring break over and over with <laughs> establishing shots of the uh, sunrise over the beach. Like, I, enough is enough after five times. You, you didn't want another two hours of that? You know, make this one of the longest running movies of all time? Another two hours of, look at my shit. Look at my shit. You see all my shit? Look at my shit. No, I don't. I don't want that. No more. Yeah, yeah I would man, say I, that an hour and a half is like the perfect timestamp for this movie. If it was any longer than that, it would have overstayed its welcome. I would even say that there are some parts that could be cut from this, and nothing would be lost if it went down to like an hour and fifteen minutes or so. Yeah, uh, it's good where it is. This film is good where it is. Uh, the length, the length that it's at, is solid. Um, this is a film that I own, but I've only seen it that one time in the movies. I, I watched it recently for this episode, but I, I don't know. This seems like something I watch every five years. You know what I mean? Like I, it's not one of my favorite movies, but it's a film that I do, I do appreciate and give a hat tip to just because of the, the balls it took to make it. You know what I mean? Like a 24 took a risk on this and it was, to me, it was a good risk. Yeah. I would say that, uh, it's it, to me, it's a pretty forgettable movie overall. So I don't, I, think, I, I, I don't think I got this. 
but go ahead. Yeah, I, I would say it falls more in underforgettable for me, so it's not as highly praised in my opinion. Uh, I can see where some scenes yeah. are done really well. There was a lot done. It was definitely being adventurous with kind of the tone or the tone that it was taking and everything like that. But it, it just didn't capture me as much as it did you, it seems. Because <laughs> I can probably go the rest of my life without watching this movie again. I mean, I can too. I just, I just appreciate it. I think it's a, it's a great troll film. So it's a nice, it's a nice troll effort. I, I give it that. Uh, I give it a three. I give it a three five. Yeah, it, it falls in like a two point five three out of five for me. <laughs> you give it a two point five. <laughs> okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. I got you. Yeah, it, it it has its moments, but overall, to me, it was a pretty forgettable movie. Um, it doesn't also help that I couldn't tell you the names of any of the characters uh, outside of Alien. Yeah, I mean, well, I think that's the point, though. Like, um, I think the women, they weren't really supposed to be characters. They were supposed to be caricatures. Yeah, but at the same time, it would be nice to, like, have a name to them. Because even as we were talking, I was trying to think, what was the name of the girl that Selena Gomez played? Because you kept saying Selena's character. It's like, wait, she had a name in the movie, right? And I I can't remember what it was. <laughs> Faith. Is that what it was? Yeah, because remember Faith, you know, she was the Christian girl. And remember Alien was talking to her and said, oh, your name is Faith, huh? You believe in God. Oh, that's and right. God brought me here to be with you, you know? Yep. I remember that scene now. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, man, I'll say this. Um, in contrast to the other film we saw with that film, I left out of that saying, oh, man, that was a great, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, we'll get to it when we get to it. Um, after Spring Breakers, I need to take a shower. <laughs> I need to watch that uh, Miami stench off me. You just couldn't take it any longer after that hour and a half? All the partying, all the messing up the hotel rooms, it made me feel dirty. I say, yeah, I got to take a shower, man. <laughs> all right, man. Uh, all right, so we're done with that one? Yeah, let's uh, let's move on to the uh, star of the episode. Yes, yes, yes. Let's move on to Zola, um, the sophomore film from Janisco Bravo. Have you seen her first movie, Lemon? I have not. This was the first film from her that I've seen, I believe. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so uh, so what did you think? What did you think of Zola? So I think they basically took this movie as far as they could for it having been based off of a story on Twitter. Yeah, uh, yeah. I Twitter thread. It, it, yeah, it was 150 tweets, something like that, of... Uh, telling this story and I actually after going back and watching it, I actually went through and found like the Twitter thread uh, and went through and started reading it to kind of see what was actually said and everything like that and yeah. the movie sticks pretty close to what she originally said it adds a little bit more detail or it Hollywood's up a part or two of mm -hmm. it but for the most part it's pretty close to what she said uh, I also went back and I found, because there's a part in the middle of the movie where it uh, goes from Stephanie's point of view of what she said <laughs> happened. And, uh, yeah, that was pretty accurate to what she claimed as well. <laughs> right. I love that part of the film. 
That was probably uh, one of the best parts of the film, just because it comes out of nowhere, and it just, I loved it. Yeah, man, this film is very stylish. Um, it's a it's a Florida man story, but it's a Florida man story told with style. Um, you know, Spring Breakers had style too, but this one has like more of a concrete style. Like you know, it's offbeat, it's quirky. You know, mm. it's eccentric. It's a little it's a little ele- a little electric. Like I like what Janiska Bravo brings to like directing the story. Um, but just to give the rundown for, I mean, people know that we we ruin. People know we talk about stuff here, like with spoilers and all that. Um, but basically. As the story goes, Zola, who is a um, waitress, a part-time stripper, you know, she has a friend of hers who also strips that invites her out um, to Florida to dance. Um, it surprises her when it turns out that it's her uh, her boyfriend and, you know, soon as we find out, her pimp coming with her as well. And that it's not just dancing going on, um, you know, her friend is also a prostitute and it's kind of like a sex trafficking situation a little bit. Yeah. And I love how this film, it knows how to juggle its tones well. Like, because this is a serious situation. Like, this is almost, it was almost like kidnapping. A little, well, it was kidnapping. It a little literally bit. was a kidnapping. Yeah, it was, it was a hostage situation. But it, it looks at it from a from a black comedy lens, and it does it well, you know. Um, I got to say, uh, Taylor Page, who if you see Taylor Page in her interviews, like, she really did transform into Zola, you know, from her her dialect or like kind of like her, her charisma and swagger in the role. Um, yeah, she really, she really dominates the main role of Zola. Um, and I like how it pays homage to the tweets as well, because when certain characters repeat phrases that are verbatim from the original Twitter story, you hear that Twitter whistle. Oh yeah. You had the little, uh, yeah, the tweet kind of noise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, pretty much. It it does follow a thread, uh, almost to the T. I wish they did keep that. Well, you know what? There was one scene from the tweet that I was kind of looking forward to see to see how they would do it. Um, we can get to that later. But uh, so like, how did you how how how, how did you like this film? The way it started off and everything with um, I think we start off with her in the club and then going to waitressing, right? Um, and that's where she meets Riley. Yes. Well, she has, she so meets it starts her. out with in the club and then it goes to her job as a waitress and everything. And then we kind of see it, uh, where she meets Stephanie for the first time. And, uh, she's just at the diner with some random guy that's never seen again throughout the entire movie. Right. And it, the two just kind of exchange numbers. They ca- start messaging back and forth with each other. Uh, they go dancing the one time, and then after that, they immediately go down to Florida. And to think that this is, like, based on a real kind of event that occurred is kind of crazy that, you know, she she met this person, and within a day, right. she's jumping in a car with her and two other mysterious men to go down to Florida. Y- you can already tell that I this isn't going to end with a happily ever after kind of... <laughs> what does she say, like, like... Dang, bitch! We just man, you already you already want to take whole trips together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. There's that. Um, but yeah, I can say before seeing the movie, I didn't actually know uh, anything about the story prior to it. 
Uh, I knew like going into it what to kind of expect from it, but at the same time, I didn't know like mm-hmm. the story beats and everything from like the actual Twitter story or anything else that was going on around it. So I kind of went in a little bit blind on this one. I'm kind of glad I did because it, it it follows the story beats so precisely almost that uh, yeah. any like shock value or anything that happens in the movie would have been ruined for anybody that actually knows it beat for beat. Yeah, I got to say, this is an internet story told well. Um, you know, a lot of films are based off internet stories or maybe creepy pastas, what have you, and they're, they kind of didn't need to be turned into films. Um, Zola utilizes the story well, and it sees the value in its wild, stranger-than-fiction story. Yeah. Um, one thing I was going to say is that I actually read the Twitter three thread when it first came out, and then I, wrote the, I read the Rolling Stone article when they were talking about the woman who Zola, basically Zola, Isaiah, um, I think her name is Isaiah King, yeah. who wrote the original, who wrote the story, wrote the tweets. And like, then they talked about what really happened behind um, behind all the tweets. Yeah, so I was like, because uh, originally, you know, James Franco was supposed to direct this. Yeah, I remember. He and, was uh, tied to direct it. And I think yeah. that's where it first like hit my radar, because it was shortly mm-hmm. after he had done... Uh, what was it? The one based on the room, Disaster Artist. The Disaster Artist. Yeah. So I think this was supposed to be his like next movie after that, wasn't it? Uh, I believe so. I think so. I'm not too sure. Maybe. Yeah, because that's when it originally hit my radar that this movie was even a thing. So I remember he dropped out. Pretty early on, though, he dropped out only before I think a script was even done for it to bring it to uh, actual like a script. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he um, did. He buy the rights to it. I think so. I think he's uh, the one that like took claim of the rights to the story to be able to turn it into a movie. And he was going to direct it, and it was being written, and then he dropped out, and then it kind of floated for a while before uh, it got picked up by A24 and the current director and everything. Right, um, yeah, and I know Dave Franco is like a producer for this film. Like, he's listed as a producer, his, uh, his brother Dave. I think he's executive uh, producer, which is basically means that he it was like inspired by or something that he didn't exactly have anything to do with the movie, but he had something to do with it being made in like a third party sense. Kind of like how uh, Will Ferrell is like executive producer of uh, Hot Rod because originally the movie was written with intention of him being the lead role. Oh, okay. All right. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so what you want to do? You want to go beat by beat or you want to just talk about the film as a whole from performances to like, what, what do you... Let's go as a whole because I think this movie as a whole works better as be- than it does beat for beat. Uh, there are a couple scenes okay. that work well, but overall I think as a whole this movie works a lot better. I think even with the... Um the strip club scenes, you know, even though, you know, they are, you know, they are dancing, you know, scantily clad. I think even those scenes are like done in a very stylish way. You know, where it's not to objectify Zola or even, you know, Riley Coe's um, character. Uh, Stephanie. Her name. Stephanie. 
yeah, they're not to objectify Zola or Stephanie, but just to show that this is what they are and their element. Like, I love the one scene where Zola, like, asks herself in the mirror, who you want to be today? And she chooses, like, different types of, like... Um, oh, the outfits and everything. Um, and Different types of outfits. Like, the one thing I like about the the scenes where Stephanie is, um, you know, hooking, so to speak, is that it's not shot from a sexy lens. Like, they show you up close and personal who these grotesque men are. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely takes a more comedic approach to it instead of, you know, yeah. uh, as you said, a sexy approach to it. It definitely tries to make it more of a funny kind of sense or kind of make it seem, like, awkward and everything like that. Yeah, it's... It, um I wouldn't even say awkward. Like, I mean, well, it's, it's funny that you got that vibe from me. It was more so unsettling to me. Um, and I, I think that I think that was kind of the point, unsettling and awkward kind of vibe. Um, well, yeah, because, because you, you had know, them all coming in and saying the exact same thing and everything like that. So it, that's where it kind of comes in and feels a little bit awkward and everything because every single one of these men are coming in and going, uh, you know, hey, you know, you look prettier than before and stuff like that. It just... It, it, like, I didn't order a black girl. Oh yeah, I you remember know, like, that one as well. He's like, "Hey, how old are you? How old are you?" They both ask the same question. Like, I love, um, I love Zola's. I love Zola's. Like, you know, like, like, um, like her sass throughout all of this because you could tell she's trying to like um, make up for being scared. Mm-hmm. You could tell like her her sassiness and her comebacks are like kind of like a defense mechanism for like. I'm stuck in this dangerous situation. All I really have about me are my wits. Right. Um, but yeah, like those scenes were like, uh, I got to say the one scene, which it, it was trashy, but it was done in a tastefully trashy way is, uh, is the scene with, um, you know, the, um, the, the, the Mexican group of boys that essentially want to gangbang Stephanie and uh and you know they were like oh uh we we want to do it from the back and then zolo's like we don't do that and then they all say look man we ain't proper oh yeah like we say that they say that all the time like look man we, we ain't proper and you know there's, there's a scene where she's on her knees and you know they all got they still got their shorts on or whatever but you know then that's when it switches from that to like stephanie's viewpoint and i just thought that was just an awesome transition. that was the perfect place to transition to her vo- viewpoint of you know uh, I'm a very Jesusy girl, you know. I I'm a conservative. Yeah, conservative. You know, uh, you know, I just met this bitch and she just wanted to do all this stuff and you know, uh, we went to the club and they all wanted me. None of nobody wanted her. Reason to be a jealous bitch number one. Right, right. She's trashy. She wears. They oh, had yeah. her literally wearing. I, a trash I love bag. that scene where they pull up to the house and she just comes out wearing a trash bag, and it's just like, oh, that is, that is glorious. How they're trying to like really push her perspective on this of just trying to seem as innocent as possible, and I love that uh, post uh, going through the story and everything like that. Uh, her boyfriend, I can't remember what his name was. But I can look it up. So. Yeah, but her boyfriend actually, Derek. yeah, Derek, he posted on uh, Twitter an entire event of the stories from his perspective and everything, and they basically lined up with what Zola said one for one, except for uh, one part that actually didn't even make it into the movie. Uh, he denies actually happened, but. In Stephanie's account, that's like one of the parts that she actually says happened. 
So is that is it the one I'm talking about where uh, where um, uh, the the pimp acts like he uh, he 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 made her you know do what she did to him in front of yeah. him? Yeah, like I I see. The thing with me, like, I was almost kind of, like, anticipating how they would do that in this movie. I think it's better off if they took it out because it would have looked a little awkward. Yeah, it, the way that they described in, like, the tweets and everything like that and, in, like, the interviews and everything, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it wouldn't have come off threatening like he intended it to be when it was actually happening. Uh, it it yeah. would just kind of come off as unsettling which they already had that going for the previous scenes they didn't need another scene no need to overdo it uh it it starts losing its punch if you keep doing it over and over so i'm glad that they took that out and then they kind of just had it be like the threat with the gun and everything like that and so i think that was a much better use of kind of keeping that vibe and actually making it work instead of going one-to-one on the story where it kind of got Hollywooded up a little bit, I think it actually benefited from that. Yeah, I agree. Um, dude, the casting of this man is top-notch. Like, I mean, we, we already spoke on how Taylor Page is great as Zola, mm-hmm. um, but I got to say, man, Riley, she, she's the supporting actor MVP in this, man. I feel like if James Franco is doing his riff-raff impression at Spring Breakers, she's doing uh, Cash Me Outside. Yeah, the Cash Me Outside. Dr. Phil. <laughs> She's doing her best catch me outside impression in, in this in this script, man. Um yeah, she kills it. Coleman Domingo as X kills it. Yep. Uh I, re- I really like him and a lot of the work he does. Uh yeah, this is this uh Nicholas Braun even kills it as a Derek. Like because uh, you feel because Derek is like so pitiful. Yeah, you, you know feel I mean? you bad for him. Good, yeah, like you tell he's a good guy, he deserves better than Stephon Stephanie, but you know, he, he's so pitiful. Like, he plays that role well, too. Yeah. Uh, I also love how, you know, his character stays very consistent with, you know, uh, not being stupid, but just being very simple as a person. Because uh, he doesn't come mm-hmm. off as, like, a complete idiot. He just kind of comes along as somebody that's very simple, you know, doesn't really think too much on certain situations, doesn't really want to. And it, it, you kind of feel bad for him, but I do love like the videos that he pulls up. He's just watching it on repeat. You know, you can be like a millionaire doing this shit. We gotta. I'm I'm gonna make funny videos like this. You know. Oh yeah, the the, the stupid video that kept showing over and over again. Uh, it was uh, like somebody like falling over like a hay bale or something. I couldn't really tell what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. Um, I think even that was kind of like a, a, a commentary on like, you know, just like trying to be dumb famous, so to speak. Yeah. So uh, I I think he did it really well as that character. And then, yeah, the character of X, which I love that uh, when we're even introduced to him, it goes, you know, it would be 24 hours before I even know this guy's name. <laughs> Right, every twenty four hours probably knows this guy's name. And then when his when his wife shows up who doesn't say anything, he's like, It'd be forty eight hours before I know before I hear this big speech. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Um I love how he switched up his accent. The moment where Zola is about to leave and say, Hey man, I'm not doing this, he switches up to the as um his was it Jamaican? I don't wanna be I, I don't Yeah, it was Jamaican or it no, Nigerian accent. Nigerian yes. his Nigerian accent. 
She's like, dude, where the fuck are you from? Don't worry about where I'm from. Get back in the fucking car. You know, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, because there was actually a entire like Reddit thread uh, back when the story was on Rolling Stones and everything like that of trying to find out because mm-hmm. they called him Z in all the like Twitter messages and everything like that, which I kind of like that they kind of kept it like that in the movie where they just notified him as X. Uh, right. But there's an entire thing where people from like Detroit were like trying to figure out who this person was and they actually nailed it down. Uh, based on one of the things that Stephanie said w- during an interview. Well, he got arrested. He got he? arrested, like, yeah. He, and that's how people yeah, finally the, found or confirmed who he was, because she said that he got arrested in Reno. And then they just went through and looked for everybody from Detroit that was arrested in Reno in the last like year or something. And they finally found oh, him. Oh, talking about like, trying to find out his identity. But I mean, yeah. they would say that in, even in the news report. Because I remember like in the Twitter thread, it shows that he got arrested on TV, right? Yeah. Like, um, yeah, like, I mean, yeah, it's not hard to find that information. Well, that was before like his identity and like being the person that was from this story was known. Oh, okay. So uh, before that, kind of, it wasn't known who he was. It was just kind of known that there was this guy out there that everybody in the that was telling the story was referring to as Z. Nobody was saying his actual name. And I love that uh, eventually we find it out and you can tell exactly why nobody said his name first off, because I don't think anybody could spell it. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Kept, telling us, kept telling him, say my name. He, he says, well, well I, I don't, he's just the same with me. <laughs> they, they said the name together. I'm like, man, who's going to, who's going to remember to say that yeah. in moments of fear. Right. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to find out if none of them actually knew what his real name was, really, uh, even during the events when it was actually taking place. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was about to bring something else up. Uh, Okay, so wait, explain this to me. So people were trying to find out who he was after the Twitter threat came out? Yeah, because he kept being referred to as Z. In the Twitter right. thread and everything. And then uh, when Stephanie came through, because people were still trying to piece together, like, whose story was real here or, you know, how much of this was real and how much didn't actually happen. And mm-hmm. during Stephanie's portion, uh, she was claiming that he was not a pimp. He was just a good friend and everything like that. And so people were trying to figure out who he was because that would be, like, the key piece to say, like who's telling the truth who's lying how much is possibly truthful and stuff like that uh so they were trying to find out who he was and they finally figured it out and then it basically became very clear that uh uh, zola was the one telling the truth in this entire scenario not stephanie (laughs) this film has some nice um dark uh racial undertones to it too like um like i like how when they're first traveling to florida you kind of like center on that Confederate flag that's like, oh, that's yeah. like up and like like waving in the air. And then there's a scene towards the end where they're driving by and someone is like being a victim of police brutality, but it's like just so far off and indifferent that, you know, um, we just, the movie just carries on. You kind of hear the person screams a little in the background too, as the movie carries on. It's kind of mixed in with the music score. Mm. Dude, the music score is great. The music score was really well done. The piano melody in the beginning, like when she's like, "Hey, you want to know how me and this bitch fell out?" Yeah, and like just like, yeah, the music score is pretty dope. But yeah, I like, 
I like how serious things that are happening in the background are kind of like looked at and then kind of like they just pass by. They're not really like focused on at all. Yeah, as if it's it's, um, as if it's just a normal thing. You know what I mean? Like this, like because I like how something this serious, uh, such as sex trafficking, is looked at through a dark comedic lens. Because if it was looked at somberly, it would kind of be a very unsettling movie. Mm -hmm. But the thing that makes Zola work is that it, it 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 balances its tones well. Yeah, we also get it from the perspective of somebody that was literally pulled into it and wanted nothing to do with the world, but she kind of had right. to be in the same room as it for you know the entire 48 hours that she was kind of trapped there because she couldn't just leave. It, she was literally trapped, but she refused to kind of go into that world still. Yeah. Man, you know this movie has been on hold for a year because of the pandemic. Yeah, it was supposed to come out. Uh, I want to say actually, it was supposed to come out like May of last year. It was. So it, it really got pulled back because we're now uh, in July and it's finally coming to theaters. Yeah, they first showed it at a uh, Sundance in January uh, of last year. Yep. And uh, yeah, we've seen it now. You know, right on time, man. I feel like nothing of this film has a. Uh, I don't feel like any of the hype has died down. A lot of people didn't know about this movie when I would bring it up, um, but I would have to, all I would have to say is A24, and he'd be like, oh, 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 a new A24 film. Yeah, sure. I like that A24 you know, like, now has that presence about itself that you can be like, oh, yeah, it's an yeah. A24 film, and everybody kind of you know has their ears perked up and go, oh, an A24 film. Well, I'll go see it then. Right. Oh, like, <laughs> you're a cultured individual, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> I, I know what A24 is, so you can call me a movie connoisseur. Right, like you mentioned uh, films like uh, The Green Knight or something like that, and they'll be like, oh, what's that? I'm like, oh, you know, the a, the new A24 film. Oh, 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 yeah, 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 I've seen that. <laughs> I don't know how to feel about but, that uh, movie in particular. I'll have to look more into it. Oh, man, that movie looks like it's going to be amazing. Well, I... I I kind of sort of read the screenplay for it, so I kind of like know like what what it what it is. I didn't know about the Green Knight poem itself, mm-hmm. um, so I had to look that up too. But uh, oh man, it's gonna be amazing. Yeah, I just know that I it really wasn't like based off a comic or a book or anything like that. So no, it's an old folk tale. Yeah. Uh, I, I can I can give you the rundown after we're done with Zola, but um. Yeah, man. Uh, overall, man, great movie. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm caught between a four and a four or five. I'll, I'll do the four or five. I'll give it a four point five. I, I think this is a good four. Uh, I wouldn't really put it any higher than that, but I think it stands mm-hmm. pretty strong there. Yeah, I just give it. I just think it has the complete package, man. I was just engaged the whole way through. I wasn't really bored in any, in any scenes. Even if there was a scene where it may have been kind of filler, I was still rocking with the movie. Mm-hmm. There were there were more than a few parts of Spring Breakers where I was like, "All right, come on, let's let's get to the point." Um, you know, Zola, there's there's great one-offs too, like when they're um, when they're initially running from the the rival pimps that uh that ex just shot one of them, and there's this, this like this this dwarf oh, yeah. limo driver that's just sitting by the have pool a nice day. <laughs> Have a nice day, and they just it's like it's so random, but it's so hilarious. Yeah, um, but then there's also the weird like shots of like 
uh, that are done that just kind of feel outside of the movie. Like uh, when she's dunking her head in like the sink that's full of water and you have that just like complete blackened kind of water look around her face. Uh, that was after the first guy uh, from the back page. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I vaguely remember that. Yeah, and yeah. it just kind of it felt outside of the movie in terms of where everything else was. Like, cinematography was pretty standard throughout. Uh, or not standard. It kind of flowed throughout. But then you would have a random scene like that that just kind of stuck out and not in, like, a good way. It just kind of stuck out in a, oh, look what we can do kind of way. I think the whole film has style. I mean, I, it was if it's a if it's a moment where it's where it's showing, hey, look what I can do with the camera. I mean, I can forgive it because the whole movie is good. Um, <laughs> uh, the the one way the director tried to explain this film is like uh, she says, I wanted to create an experience where Cardi B's song "Bodak Yellow" and "Blue Velvet" meet, and I'm <laughs> okay. like, that is that's what this movie is. Like, that's how I would describe this movie. Like, because, you know, when we watched Blue Velvet, it was it was a place where the aesthetic is beautiful, but it has a dark underbelly. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that's kind of what this is. Um, yeah, I can definitely but, uh, see that as kind of an inspiration for the tone of the movie, because it definitely does follow yeah. that kind of line. The, I, I'd say in contra in, um, in addition to what you're talking about, there's one shot where they're in the midst of, um, before X shoots the other rival pimp, they're arguing and stuff. And like, I think there's this one shot that's centered on Zola and there's like these, these, these flashing lights that, that are over her head as they, they, they skip, they flash to something like, Oh yeah. And it's this weird little, like, um, almost like a loading screen kind of icon. Yeah. Kind of a little bit. Or like a screensaver or something like that. Yeah, that's yeah. I, I think that's what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, this this little this little weird one-off moment. I don't think they take away from the whole. But um, uh, what'd you feel about the end when uh, Derek, uh, you know, uh, oh, where he uh, uh, jumps over the yeah, and just jumps right into the concrete below. Um, yeah. I, I like how they pause it, like you know, I'll totally do it and everything. And then they pause it and have her kind of like giving commentary of, "I swear on my life." This bitch jumped. Ah, I, yeah, he yeah, he jumped. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought that was funny. Uh, it, it was supposed to be like a serious moment, but because of that little commentary moment that like crunches in, it, it definitely came off as more funny to me. Yeah, this is another short one too. This is ninety minutes. It's um, these are some short and sweet films. Um, yeah, I uh. It, where, where Spring Breakers ended, where I felt like I needed to take a shower, Zola ended. I was like, man, that was a very that was a very stylish dark comedy. Mm-hmm. I like that. This was my this was my film uh, coming back to the theaters uh, post Quiet Place Part Two, and I like this experience more because I didn't have to deal with a lot of yelling kids in the back. Well, I didn't have to deal with a lot of talking kids in the back row. Okay, yeah, I can say that this one was. Uh... It was a pretty small theater, but at the same time, it was not full or anything. So there were only a couple other people, and everybody was respectful, thankfully. 
Yeah, my AMC A-list uh, reactivated itself. So I said, you know what? I'm ready to go back to the theaters. And uh, this, along with uh, Fast 9, are the two films I saw. But, um, you know, I think those without saying, I put Zola over Spring Breakers. I think Zola wins out. Yeah, uh, definitely same for me. Zola over Spring Breakers. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, okay, so what else is on the agenda, man? How you, how you been doing? You been watching anything? Um, I finished season one of the Dr. Stone anime. Uh, that's basically been the kind of, you know, play it as I'm watching kind of thing. That's, uh, I can't think of anything else. I do want to see that new Netflix, uh, America, the untold story or something like that. The animated one. I keep hearing about it. Yeah, I keep hearing. Yeah, about I keep that hearing one. about That's it too. Uh, I need to check it out. I saw the trailer for it. Uh, it has it's Chris Pratt in it. I know Killer Mike is in it, but who uh, else was voicing? John Cena is one of the voices, I believe. Yeah, and I, it has something to do with the founding fathers. It's kind of like a over the top, audacious story. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll put that on the back burner. I'll, I'll let you tell me if it's good, and then I'll see if I'll I'll, I'll not. Knock it up a notch. Yeah, I just keep hearing about that one, so I have that one on the back burner. But yeah, in terms of like what I've been watching lately, uh, not much. I kind of been playing more games lately. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm at this turning point where. Um, well, let me let me say this. I think I just finished something, but I forgot what I finished. Uh, I just finished the show. I forgot what it was. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I I watched uh, I watched Kevin Hart's new film Fatherhood, which gave me a pleasant surprise because it was actually a good dramedy. Really, with Kevin Hart? I know that's what everyone says, but he actually gave a good performance. Um, quick quick rundown of the synopsis: uh, Kevin Hart plays a um, guy he just just become a dad. His wife gave birth, um, a tragedy happens, and now he's a single father, and um, he's learning how to, like, raise his kid. Like, it's a great it's a great movie for fathers. Like, I can tell, like, some friends of mine who are dads, you know, single or married or otherwise, they would love this movie. But Kevin Hart actually gives a solid, dramatic performance. I mean, there's some comedy because it's Kevin Hart, but it's 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 more drama than comedy, and it's, it's, it's well done. Okay. I would have never guessed that he could do drama well uh because even in like super serious roles he always kind of falls back to a comedic role in in those movies i know he put his foot in the water with uh the one with him and brian cranston the upside i never saw that one but everyone said he did good yeah i can't remember that one so i can't say i i didn't see that one at the very least i don't even remember him doing a movie with brian cranston yeah, it was called The Upside, and it's a remake. It's an American remake of The Untouchables. Oh, okay. You probably remember that. Yep. Yeah. Um, I do. I remember now. Have you seen Black Summer? I have not. On Netflix? You need to check that out, my friend. That may be... See, it's a film with zombies, and uh, it's the prequel to another show called Z Nation, but it has a way different tone than Z Nation. Like, it's it's pedal to the metal, straight, tense action the whole way I through. I think you mentioned this one before, when you were watching it. Yeah. 
Yep, season two just dropped on Netflix. I watched that in one go. Uh, I did not waste my time. Season two is actually better than season one. I might actually write a review and upload it to 8-Bit Waffles. Uh, but I would say, dude, you have to check out Black Summer. Like, that show, each episode has, like, little vignettes. Mm-hmm. of um, And it can be a little nonlinear at times, but the whole thing flows. I was kind of zombied out, you know, with Walking Dead, Fear the Walking Dead, Walking Dead, World Beyond, yeah. High Zombie. With zombie it, shows, it's, it's very easy to get burned out. Uh, same for movies. It's just become such a cliche and very rarely does somebody actually do something different with it yes and uh lo and behold black summer was that show that wouldn't did something different with with tone alone and action like the action is filmed very well yeah i would say check it out man. yeah i think i have it on my list because you mentioned it before uh, i just didn't recognize it by name but i remember you talking about the precursor to z nation yeah, ignore all that. There's no connection except it's just a pre. Uh, it's just it's just what happened before Z Nate before Z Nation became Z Nation. Okay, same world, so no connection outside of that. That's it. okay. That's the only connection. Um, I also saw Fast Nine, like I told you. Uh, pretty much what you expect. Nothing more, nothing less. Entertaining action comedy. I had no intention of seeing that one. Uh, the Fast and Furious movies just don't... Uh, they're all the same to me. They don't... My wife... My wife wanted to go to the movie, so... And she wanted to see that. So I took her to see that. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was my reason. <laughs> I wouldn't have went on my own, but uh, maybe to write a review, but I wouldn't have went on my own. I mean, they're entertaining. They are entertaining. They are entertaining, um, but it's feel- not like a need-to-go-to-the-movie-theater kind of thing. That's something that I can put on the TV and watch at home. Because to go to a theater, you actually have to like put the time to drive down to the theater. You have to schedule when you're going to go and stuff. Fast and Furious is not one of the movies that it's worth it to me to do that. It seems more of a, you know, I got nothing going on today. It's on Netflix. Play. <laughs> If my car is being repaired and I need to burn some time, yeah, yeah. I'll go see Fast Nine. Uh, yeah, I, I mean it was cool. Like, listen, it, it, when people ask me if people ask me what my favorite Fast and Furious film is, I'm probably gonna say Tokyo Drift because, and that's kind of like one of the the least liked ones, but I like that one because it kind of focused on the cars. Okay, like, it, it focused on racing. Um, and I don't mind these later films because they add more action into it. You know, they don't want to focus on cars the whole series, and that's fine. Uh, I look at it like a, I look at it like Mission Impossible, man. You know what you're going to expect. Tom Cruise is going to do his own stunts, get in some dangerous situations, saves the day. You, you know what to expect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even same for like the new uh, Top Gun Maverick. You know, I know exactly what to expect from that movie, but that one's probably going to pull me into a movie theater. You know what? I'll be excited to see that because um, I don't mind the original Top Gun. I think it's a cool movie. Uh, I don't watch it all the time, but I, I it, 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 it looks, it looks. I'm a little excited for it. You know, Tom Cruise, Miles Teller. Mm-hmm. I think Val Kilmer shows up at one point. I'll see that one. Plus, I don't think Tom Cruise ever loses when it's him and Christopher McQuarrie together. 
Like, I think McQuarrie has really revitalized the whole Mission Impossible uh, series of films. And uh, it's the dude that wrote Usual Suspects, so we know he's a good storyteller. Right. So I'll, I'll see that movie. But I think that wraps up this episode. Uh, thanks, guys. It's been another episode of Double Feature Versus. Uh, we will talk to you all later.